it is a hot Sunday. How are you guys holding up here? Doing okay. Air, air conditioning's fine. Pretty, it feels yeah, pretty good. Yeah, it's nice to be inside, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sitting here with Justin and Steve. Uh, Steve, what did, you, what did you end up getting there? That's an interesting glass. Yeah, it's it's a glass that looks like a, like a tall boy can. I, th- I was going to think a candle. Like, it looks like a can- Oh, yeah, I, I see that, too. I yeah. see that, too. Love the pride. Love the pride part yeah. of it. It's yeah. a uh, it's a peach cider uh, by a brewery called Land of Lincoln. It's delicious. Okay. Yeah. Right yeah. I don't know if we haven't mentioned that, but uh, you're not limited to Little Beaver's uh, offerings. When you're I think they, they got four taps that aren't theirs, I think. Yeah, rotated out. I think we it's been a well, they're choosing well. I'll say that much. Yeah. There's also a collaboration they did with another local brewery. Um, gosh, I wish I, I can't quite see the menu from here, but yes, yeah, good spirits. Uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> I'm drinking a non-alcoholic one for the first time. It's so hot. I'm worried that if I if I drink a full alcoholic IPA, I'll just suck it right down. So I, it's a non-alcoholic juicy IPA. So we'll see how that treats me. There you go. But, uh, so, Steve. And Justin and I, um, we're all just talking about how we didn't uh, prepare anything for this. Show, so. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your minds, gentlemen? Well, uh, re- recently it's been the Delta variant, COVID, and how it's gonna, how we're gonna treat that, right? As, yep. as a community and, and larger than that. So, yeah, I'm interested in. I mean, I, I have an idea of Steve's thoughts here, but I, I, I always like to hear your perspective well, on things. Well, I just, uh, just yesterday. Well, technically not yesterday. It, the show aired yesterday, but I, I talked with both mayors this past week. Oh, you did? Yeah, I had uh, Coos and Mboka on the same show, um, which I, has never happened on my show. Um, Simultaneously or one after? No, not, not at the same time. No, it was it was separate. Um, you know, I had, I had a few other things to talk to Mboka about, you know, the Ward 6 vacancy, that type of stuff, but both of them got grilled on COVID. Um, you know, Mboka was kind of talking a lot about how... He wants to be more proactive instead of reactive, and he felt that the previous administration was a little too reactive um, in, you know, finding bars and restaurants that decided they were going to stay open. Um, so I, he wants to take a more active role in that. We talked about what that might look like, and you know, some of the conversations he's already having with business owners, that type of thing. And uh, I talked with Coos. Coos wants to have as soft an, soft an approach as possible. Uh, but he's also looking at the reality of, you know, he's in a unique situation where the town's population grows by 50% in a week. Yeah. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens uh, when, you know, all the students come back. But, um, you know, I think there's room to be encouraged. The case numbers have certainly been trending in the wrong direction pretty significantly for the last three weeks. Um, and, you know, deaths and, and hospitalizations are lagging factors, but we're still not seeing an increase in the same rate, at least, that we're seeing the cases. And this was similar to what they experienced in India and the U.K. with the Delta variant. It's going to come hard and fast with the cases. As, you know, assuming you have a decent vaccination rate, um, you'll be able to weather the storm in the hospital with hospitalizations and, and uh, fatalities. And, you know, you'll be out of it in a month, and we'll dip back down and probably have another spike in, you know, November, December, where we saw one last year, so. Yeah. yeah. I have a hard time with uh, with all the different metrics there are to follow. I was, uh, I won't bore everyone by reading other news articles on air or something, but I was, I was scrolling through different COVID coverage, and it's just coming hard and fast with the numbers you know like this this many cases in this period of time this is the highest since this month and 
hospital capacity is this, and just like boom, 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 and I, I, I get cons. I guess I my head just starts to swirl of like what should we actually be looking at here? Because it seems like it reminds me of if you watch like a baseball game and they say this is the third. This is only the third time that a second baseman has hit a home run in the fifth inning, you know. At a, at Against a, a left-handed <laughs> pitcher on, when the sun's yeah. down. Yeah, yeah like, game's that's not wind really, blowing out. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's not a superlative, you know. Like, that's just a thing that happened. So it's not to, like, undermine it. It's just to, my sense of confusion about what I should actually be paying attention to. Um, and then I further just step back and say, well, I'm not in a decision-making capacity in most regards. So right. I'm just – people are going to set up rules for their establishments – my job's going to set up rules. It's my job to follow those rules. Yeah. <laughs> and not just not just not only not in a decision-making capacity in some of those situations, but also not in a situation where we're capable of having the knowledge to make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. That's know? that's so. been my biggest frustration, uh, not just with the Delta variant, but before is um, how many people are second-guessing the professionals all the time. Um, I mean. I always say, like, I don't, I have no idea what to do. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I've, I've been in sales my entire life. Like, I have no scientific background at all. So I have to trust those people. And I think, I think that's how societies move forward is trusting those that are professionals at these things. And I, I get tired of arguing facts with people and um, having their feelings. I mean, yeah, no one wants to wear a damn mask. It sucks. <laughs> like, I hate it. My, my company just announced that we have to start wearing them again. And I, uh-huh. I'm just frustrated yeah. as, as hell for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's their decision to do that. And if the public health officials say that this is what's going to curb this and make this go away faster, then I, I have no, no leg to stand on to make it to, to counter that point. I, I agree to uh, to a large extent. Uh, we need to be listening to the professionals. Uh, part of part of my issue with the way we've handled this since last March has been that we're only listening to health professionals in some situations. And it's getting better now. We're starting to listen to some other people about, you know, economists, for example, or, um, you know, psychologists or education specialists. You know, some of the negative impacts that policy might have if we only focus on the healthcare aspect. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it's a big picture and it takes multiple perspectives to piece that puzzle together. And if we're only listening to one perspective, and that perspective is not concerned about, you know, oh, what's this going to do to the economy? What's this going to do to X, Y, and Z? Their only concern is limiting the disease and limiting the spread and limiting, you know, uh, deaths and cases. And, of course, that's what a healthcare expert's going to do. But I think we need to listen to everybody and build a policy puzzle with more pieces than just that public health opinion. I agree. But the biggest majority of that piece needs to be healthcare. Sure. It's a health crisis, right? If, yes. it's, not, if it's an economic yes. crisis, I'm listening to economists. Right. If it's a health crisis, if there's an earthquake, I'm not going to go to the the doctor, right. the health department, right? right. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's fair to have those have those points listened to and and balance those, but um, or I should say, I don't think you should balance them, right? I think I think the healthcare aspect needs to be heavily weighted on that decision making, and it, and it, and it sucks. I mean, the we've seen that the economy is the thing that suffers the most. I mean, mental health has definitely been talked about a lot too, but. The data you can see in the economy, the difference it makes when we make healthcare-only decisions, and that sucks. And I don't know how to how to necessarily fix that. But well, and, and some the, of our policy decisions are going to have. 
we've got some economic crises that are on the way sure. because of some policy decisions. I think the good news is we have a lot more information today than we did the first time this was around. Uh, oh, sure. To what you said yeah. about Mayor Milwaukee's uh, the the last administration being reactive. Well, what other way were you going to prepare for that? Right. <laughs> um, so I, I think that was kind of unfair. But we have a lot of information that we can go off of now, uh, not just data on how this can affect people, but also, um, you know, like we were talking off air, uh, Steve, about this place having two large garage door bays on each side of the building. (laughs) So like, you know, if this does ramp up where maybe it goes to outside seating, we probably know that if they open this, they do something funny with the air and we can probably make this. Well, and part of that's, you know, just having time to get the infrastructure put in place and that type of thing. The other part is we're in a, we're in a unique situation compared to where we were maybe you know, nine months ago when we were at the heat of this and things were getting shut down in November, December, in that we're able to look at how the UK and how India and how Japan dealt with uh, the Delta variant Mm -hmm. because it was there first. Um, In a lot of situations, we were kind of like second with the, you know, with the big surges outside of China. And who knows if we can trust the data coming from China, you know? So we were kind of trying to figure out ourselves. Now we have some game plans to, to look at and, and go off of, essentially. Yeah. What, what I worry about, it was encapsulated well by a quip that Bill Maher made a couple weeks ago. He said he, he, he wonders if people are more worried about covering their faces or covering their asses. I, I worry sometimes that there's extra precautions being taken for liability reasons. There's something that came up with the schools. It was almost like a... Oh, gosh, I wish I had it in front of me. I think Pritzker said it, like, well, school districts can choose to stay open, but they have to realize that they could incur liability. Uh, not stay open, the masks, masks uh, was yeah, what he was yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah, schools have to wear masks. Uh, but if they don't, there can be liability associated with that. I mean, it's kind of a... Th- a threat, right? You can get sued if you don't do this. And he opened and up so. that door by saying that, right? Like, yeah. Like there were a lot of lawyers that's ears perked up. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be based on what you said, Steve. Like health is one thing. There's a lot of other consequences for it too. Acting as if it's just a costless decision, I think, is will run people the wrong way. Mass in schools has been my big one because I got three kids going into school in a mm-hmm. few weeks. You know. They're not really too bummed out about wearing masks. Like, they're pretty versatile. They'll do it, you know. But ideally, in those stages when you're trying to, in very young elementary, you're trying to learn how to speak properly, right, proper pronunciation, um, that's very hard to do with a mask. You're trying to form social cues and social awareness. There's there's issues right there. So maybe we still need to do it, but there just seems to be some respect for what, what we're losing, too. What grade is your oldest going into? Six. Six. So, I mean, 25% of his school career is going to be spent in masks. It's true. Like, I mean, that, sure. when you hear about that, that's like crazy to think about. So when you think yeah. it's not, um, to them, it's not that big a deal to wear it. It's because now they're, they're honestly, like, they're probably used to it, yeah. right? I mean, that's how I, well, my, my daughter's going into seventh, and that's how I think she is. She's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm used to it now. My youngest one's going into first, so his entire experience has been yeah. masked. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was talking to someone who owns a gym, and uh, a person said, like, yeah, I, I'm putting these precautions in place, but they're pretty much 100% just to make people feel comfortable. I don't have any confidence to actually doing anything to address the risks, but people want stuff to get sprayed down, you know, so we'll, we'll spray it more or something. Well, I mean, I think the, <laughs> the way we're addressing COVID, like, we can learn from this and probably curb the flu and other things a lot easier that in the future, too. nice, man. Put that in the pro category. I get so, like, 
dragging sick every fall. It's like September, December. It's this experience. You like, you wake up and you're like hacking and coughing. You're like, can I do the day? And you take a hot shower and then you finally get like, okay, I think I can do the day. That, this fall was like the first time since I've had a corporate job that I haven't felt that way, and that was a huge plus. For me I saw a, I saw a great uh, like meme on Facebook the other day. It said, "I swear to God, if I have to start washing my hands again." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but I mean, I, I've seen the conspiracy theories about you know, well, why is there no flu? And, well, because we were all wearing masks and distanced, and we closed down half the economy. Yeah, because I mean, we bought off the sanitizer. Yeah. No one's yeah, going anywhere. Was, like yeah. I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think. To your point with gyms, like spraying down equipment, um, that kind of stuff. Like we should be doing that anyway, right? Yeah. We're sweating on these things. Like we shouldn't rely on the patrons to go and wipe it off. Because there is a unique conspiracy theory. The last sixteen months have been solely a hoax to make people actually spray down their equipment at the gym after using this it. Is what it's for. <laughs> this was the reason. And hand washing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So here, here's a. Fauci went into the gym one day. <laughs> this isn't happening anymore. He got on yeah. the machine. Someone had sprayed it down. It was like Seinfeld episode, but just like spray. I know what I can do. <laughs> what just, it'd be nice if we got to the point where it was just totally personal responsibility. It's so much cleaner than, you know, like if, if we get confidence that if you're vaccinated, you're a limited threat to other people, you can make that choice. I mean, I feel like there's just so too many unknowns, especially when it comes to this, like long-term consequences with kids who are not vaccinated. I don't, I don't know. When I get irritated, I feel like, yeah, we should just be able to choose, right? I don't know if we're quite there yet. Yeah. Steve, libertarian take? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, here's the thing. Uh, you know, choice, and, and there's there are libertarian arguments on both sides of this, because choice works until you affect someone else with your choices, mm-hmm. right? Um, the question is, are we at a point where the people who would be affected by choices that you might make negatively have had the opportunity to protect themselves yet? Mm-hmm. Um whether that be with a vaccine or with their own precautionary measures. I mean, you know, people always bring up, well, there's people with health conditions that can't get the vaccine. And that's totally true. But those same people can't get the vaccine for any disease, you know. And we're not, you know, we haven't been wearing masks for the last, you know, 100 years since we've learned about how some of these diseases are uh, contagious and communicable between people. So... You know, I, I do have I have empathy for people who are unable to get the vaccine, not with age restrictions right now. Obviously, kids are a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, those those people have been living their entire lives knowing that that has been kind of something they will have to live with. Um, and, and I think we're getting closer to the point where we can treat COVID like some of those other diseases because... For the most part, if you if you want a vaccine, you've gotten it at this point. Again, age restrictions, age restrictions, not notwithstanding. Well, and hopefully, I'm, I'm hearing that 12 and under soon, right? By hope so. Yeah. End of fall, maybe um, sometime Q1, maybe. So, but, is there something locally to bring it back down to local again? It's so easy to pop up to national. Oh yeah. But every you know, uh, we're not experts on national news commentary. Is there stuff you see locally we could? do better did you did the conversation with the mayors spur anything or? well i you know i'm encouraged that both mayors uh, seem to want to have a softer touch and i think they both recognize there's less of an appetite for severe restrictions again i mean if you came in and said we're shutting down indoor service in bars and restaurants in yeah. november again i i you know that's probably not going to go over very well um you know, what can we be doing better locally? Um, 
you know, I I hope it's I hope it's not doing some of the more restrictive things we did in the past. Um, in particular, uh, that ordinance and normal. And I've talked to the mayor about this before too. The one that uh, restricted uh, gathering sizes, but only restricted them in areas around campus and in multifamily homes. Um, not only is that an ineffective policy because it doesn't apply to everyone equally. It's you know arguably if there was a lawsuit they'd probably lose lose it because we need equality under the law and the law should apply equally to everybody. But there's also social justice concerns there because obviously people of color are more likely to be renters. Um, folks of uh, lesser socioeconomic means are more likely to be renters. So you had a policy that only applied to a certain group of people. And um, I understand why it was put in because those were primarily the places that were having the, the issue with the disease at that point in time. But, you know, if I'm looking back at, you know, all the policy decisions that were made, that was probably the one that... Um, I guess bothered me the most um, last fall, even though I could see why it was justified. Yeah, more than a liquor commission in Bloomington penalizing. That's see, a, uh, that that was a big one. That, that was I, obviously a controversial one too. The thing I wish, uh, I wish the council would have had more input on that. It wasn't the mayor acting unilaterally in a lot of instances. Um, I also think that uh, had Mayor Renner perhaps been running again, maybe it, there would have been a softer touch on, on some of that. Um, I think he benefited from, you know, uh, being not necessarily a lame duck mayor, but, you know, someone who knew that he uh, he could make decisions without having to answer to them in the ballot box. So. Sure, that helps. I, uh, the thing I've been thinking about, I just went to Galena for a few days with my wife. Highly recommend if anybody's into walkable areas and they have a one of their streets in their downtown closed down uh, I don't know per, I don't know how permanently it is but it was permanent during the time we were there and all the restaurants had extended out outside yeah. and I know we've done a little bit of that in both uptown and downtown I I hope that people now are more comfortable with the idea that you can have outdoor seating in places and they, you know, it's not going to result in uh, Armageddon, right? I hope maybe we can lean into that. Man, more. I'd say just shut down. What, what are those middle two streets called? Not Center and Main, but the two in the middle. I don't even. I don't well, even, Main is Main is actually. Oh, one Main of them. is one yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and everyone I talked to when COVID happened and they opened up the outside, everyone said, "Why can't we just make this permanent?" Right. Like I and I, a lot of people told me that. Um, and I think they should. I think I think a shareable street of some sort. I mean, we get the damn buses out of there. I've talked about all this before, so I'm going fast. We get the damn buses out of going right down the center of the street, so mm-hmm. it's slower traffic. Yeah. Um, you have certain times for deliveries for the businesses. Yeah, know. I mean, I, I, I'm so tired of hearing the same excuses downtown Bloomington and just, well, we try, you know, we had that conversation and we'll do something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, one more policy that needs to be tacked onto that open container. You can go. In the street, bar to bar, you know, have a good time, be responsible. Yeah. No cars. That's very comfortable. If you for take me. the cars out, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's. I, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, it's scary. I, I understand this, the scariness of it because if you've been downtown at midnight or 2 a.m. around that north part of Main Street, like you, you where all the bars oh, and yeah. college kids go, like. It's, it, it can get a little rowdy, um, and then you start letting them carry the drinks between bars, and that can that can add to that. Yeah. Um, Let's not link those two together, please. Uh, <laughs> but I think separate conversations. It is. Sure, there. sure. Um, 
growing up in Europe that feels very comfortable to me, but it's a it's a big change from what people are used to here. And, uh, here in Bloomington, normal. I mean, there's yeah. several cities in the United States where yeah, you know, open containers. New, New Orleans, up. fine, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, New Orleans, uh, Savannah, Georgia, recently did it, and they've seen a spike in. Um, local tourism because of it. it I mean, it, it can pay off. You do have to monitor the situation, obviously. Sure. But yeah. Yeah, that is important, though, to reflect on everything that we've learned over the last 18 months. I was thinking about when we first shut down, like, no one knew what the heck was going on. I went to the grocery store. I was like, you know, putting my clothes directly in the washer and, you know, <laughs> and taking a... Wiping down all your food. Yeah. And, yeah, but you know, this just is, didn't know what was going on. This right? is the type of proactive stuff I would like to see from Mayor Milowamboy and, and Mayor Coos uh, in normal is when we talk about being proactive, like, yeah, I mean, as far as um, safety, that's a big deal, but also be proactive on this is the lessons we've learned. Let's be proactive on the future of this, yeah. right? I mean... I've gotten a lot of shit for this on Facebook, but like I talked about how over 70% of the people hospitalized for COVID were overweight and I got accused of fat shaming me yep. who's been fat my entire <laughs> life. Like I have not had a moment in my life where the doctor knows you could lose a little weight. You're, you're <laughs> uh, a self-hating fat. But I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's data. Right. And I know I like, I, I get some of their points. Like I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm what my point was, was maybe we could put as much emphasis in the future on America's problem with, you know, obesity, overweight, and maybe that way next time in 10, 15, 50 years, however long it is, we don't have to suffer as many deaths and hospitalizations as we have. Yeah. That's my point. Like, uh, and again, been overweight my entire life. I'm talking to myself. Well, and, and pointing it out is, you know, doing people a favor. I mean, you want to know if you have a risk factor uh, right. that would make this disease more serious for you. Mm-hmm. Well, and so. doctors aren't going to bring it up either. Um, like... Mine did. did it? Oh yeah, no, he told me. I mean, healthy, not, 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 not. They will definitely bring up like you need to lose weight. But as far as like, here's, do you want to discuss some ideas on like healthy living? Oh god, no. My doctor specifically was like, hey, you're in bigger risk of COVID because oh, okay. of because of your physical condition. So, but to your yeah. point, statistically, probably most doctors are overweight also. Well, sure. I mean, most of America is like, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's 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 our culture. I think. I think it's. Uh, I had an experience. I had an experiment experience where I was having some like sleeping and breathing issues, and went to various doctors, and they said the best thing was to do a surgery, like deviated septum and all kinds of like a pretty invasive surgery. Turns out I have a, a gluten and sugar sensitivity. I need to cut down the gluten and the sugar. Mm. It causes inflammation. No one, during all the doctors I talked to, all the stuff I went through. <laughs> they just wanted to cut you open. <laughs> no one's like, hey, let's talk about what you're eating, right? It's just, why what, isn't that part of medical? What's going to create the most medical bills here? Huh, here we go. Here's a yeah, surgeon. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's relevant to bring up in terms of that you need to think for yourself what effect your health choices are having mm-hmm. long term on your wellness, right? Because medical profession... They're just going to be like, lose weight, Justin. And some of the people <laughs> I, I, I usually disagree with um, in, the, in the community, like they brought some of the points that I, I, I had no comeback on is why are these people wearing masks, but then in McDonald's drive through, <laughs> you know, they want to take care of that part of themselves. But here they are eating, you know, 1200 calories in a meal yeah. or that kind of, I'm like, fair. <laughs> Fair point. Um, you know, where do we where do we make that line? And it's not just eating, but it's you know, smoking a cigarette and pulling down the mask <laughs> to smoke a cigarette, like same type of thing, right? Like, what's really doing you good here? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, lessons we can learn for sure. Um, I guess this is giving me a bit more hope that we're better equipped to handle this. It's going to yeah. go up in the fall. But I mean, I would want, I'm hoping that places are thinking now about how they're going to have gathering spaces outside in well, the fall and the winter for us. So many places were, you know, added outdoor seating, not just, I mean, we talked downtown and luckily yeah. the city was able, both the city and town let them do that. But like, you know, this place that we're sitting in now is a beautiful outdoor space. Um, a lot of places redid their outdoor space to make it more suitable. So I think a lot more places are better equipped. Um, unfortunately, not everybody has that luxury, you know, because yeah. of space. So I picked up one of those, uh, saw one of those heaters at Lowe's that like stands are about seven feet tall. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Over yeah. The, top. the mushroom heads. Yeah. Yeah. Those were like, you could not find any no. of those. Uh, so once I saw one, I just snatched it. It's been in my garage for several months because I haven't needed it right. But I'm right. like, come, come winter. I will be ready this time. <laughs> I'm going to just hang outside yeah, in the winter no matter what. Outside heating in my house. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So what else have you guys been thinking about? What else have you been up to? Well, Steve brought up something that I'm, I'm interested to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Um, which was uh, the Ward 6 vacancy in Bloomington. So Jen Carrillo just uh, announced that she was stepping down the end of August. Yep. Um, so that's gotta be repl- that seat's got to be replaced uh, from someone from Ward 6. So I guess first question for you, Steve, is what ward do you live in? I live in Ward 6. Oh, look at that. Yeah, no. Hey, what do you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, have, I have made this clear on my radio show several times. Uh, I have absolutely zero interest um, in that. Um, there, there was one point in time I was thinking about running, um, but I just hit. There are a couple reasons why why I don't have interest right now. First, I think if I were mayor mayor in Boca Malambue, I would look for someone who had similar ideology to Jen. Not necessarily somebody who's a you know carbon copy match because no one's a carbon copy match, right? Uh, everybody has their own unique perspective, but she was duly elected, and that's what the electorate voted for. Now, granted, there was pretty low voter turnout, but at the same time, th- voters made a choice. That's that's the perspective that they wanted representing them at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Not that Karen Schmidt is too far off from Jen Carrillo. But, I was going to say, um, <laughs> I, I mean, as soon as it was announced, I said, yeah. so when's Karen going to take over? Because, I, I mean, that's yeah. just what I expect yeah. to happen. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But that's, that's one a, reason. I don't, that's a principal position. I, yeah, I don't, I I don't want to take a seat from somebody who I'm, and not, not 100%. Can I make a counter-argument? Ideologically opposed, but mostly. Yeah, go ahead. More recently than the election in which Jen won, the public also elected Mayor Maboka Milawambwe. That's fine, too. gave him the yep. power to appoint that's anybody correct. he chooses to. Yes. Um, and I, they, they also had a candidate that was more closely ideolo- ideologically aligned to Jen that yeah. they rejected. In and I'm election. not arguing so, either way. Sure, I'm just saying sure. I, I'm very careful on they limited a lot of mayoral powers in the past, and, I'm, and I don't like that. Um, the mayor is the in Bloomington the only elected official voted on by the entire city. Sure. And I think those that, that needs to go further than what we give it credit for sure. sometimes. And, and, if, and Boca can pick whoever he wants, and, but um, in my own... In my own mind, in my own principle, I don't believe that it would be fair for me to try to take that seat. The other thing is, if if uh, someone does get it who is opposed to that, um, you know, I've seen how some of uh, some some of that posse uh, acts, um, whether it's in an online sphere or even in an in-person sphere. Um, I don't need that kind of attention on my life, so um, I'm trying to stay away from that too. And That's fair. you know, if the goal of those tactics is intimidation to keep people from filling 
you know, people who want to do good from filling vacancies who just might disagree with you, well, congratulations, they they achieved their goal. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. I, when I've thought about, I mean, a lot of people ask me. I think you probably ask all of us, you know, hey, you follow local politics, do you want to run for office or something? I, I've been asked that before, and um, you know, I've, I've thought about it as well. That's one of my, on the top of my list, same thing. Um, I wouldn't isolate it to just one group of people, but the the nastiness. Oh, no, online, not at all. And I don't want to make it seem like they're like it's just one group of people yeah, either. But just the the freedom that people seem to feel now to make things extremely personal when someone disagrees with them on a policy position um, to drag up things and try to interfere with their personal lives I mean again we've as we've said many times before on this these people barely get paid it's effectively a volunteer position it takes 30 to 40 hours a week to do if you're doing it properly and then you know for people to come and attack you and to, to you know accuse you of all kinds of things and interfere with your personal life i just i don't i guess i'll put it on myself i don't think i'm mature enough to put up with that kind of criticism without it really negatively affecting me really hard i'm gonna need to get older to get a tougher skin maybe get more confident in myself before i can withstand that level of like criticism without it messing up my my marriage my my kids lives my work you know and everything else i care about so I lived in Ward 6 for 12, 13 years, so uh, up until recently. So it, I, you know, obviously love the west side of Bloomington, and I really want to, I would want to see someone who is genuinely connected to the people, all the people. Downtown business owners are a very different type of personality and yeah. have different goals than those that live over by Sunnyside um, or those that live in Dimmitz Grove. You know, so so someone that can connect with all those people. We mentioned Karen Schmidt. She was very good at that, at, at really talking to everybody. Back when Karen served, and she served a long time, and I wasn't paying attention that whole time. But the last four to six years, and she was always a wonderful person, advocate of the of the word. Is I didn't feel like she was another word we've used a lot proactive enough on getting some things done. And so that would be my one. Um, hope that whoever gets that seat can look at some of the things what we always mention about being downtown yeah um, and the west side and be an advocate and push those be progressive on pushing some of those things um but still be able to balance everybody else's thoughts and ideas off of that too well i hate to speculate uh but there's another former former council member who now lives in ward six and that's scott black so true um, that's a possibility. I haven't talked to Scott. I don't know if Scott's interested, but, you know, we've got some people with council experience who could throw their hat in the ring. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that's, yeah, it'll be interesting. And it's an interesting dynamic on the council in Bloomington right now anyway. Um, I mean, so when you got people. Yeah, I mean, when you got Jamie Matthews only serving his second full term as the mayor pro tem. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that shows the youth uh, as far as experience goes on the, on the council, yeah. uh, which isn't a bad thing. I think that's good. Uh, different ideas are a good thing. Something you said, Justin, triggered an idea f- for me. That word is, n- that's not the only word, but that is one of the words that does not benefit from the status quo continuing. Word Very six. much so. Um, the status quo, again, to kind of go to my comfort zone from like a planning, zoning type perspective, the status quo is to suck wealth out of older neighborhoods and use it to invest in newer neighborhoods, like building things out on the east side of town. Um, and you don't, we ha- you know, they haven't gotten there. 
sewers updated, haven't got their streets updated, haven't had any investment in their public spaces. And, uh, and we've just been using that because it's like, oh, well, that'll promote growth, and then we'll use the growth to pay for everything else, right? And so someone who's going to be representing that, the needs of that ward, they're going to need to be somebody who knows how to effectively push back against a big machine that's rolling, that's standard operating procedures of engineers and staff and developers and so on and so forth. Um, it's not an easy spot to be in while still being, like you said, connected to very diverse groups of people, both racially, socioeconomic status. You know, it's it's a, it's a tough spot to well, fill. And, and considering there will need to be significant investment toward growth as well. I mean, you're looking at Rivian, which is going to be adding jobs. Uh, the EDC came out this week. They're trying to get another billion-dollar deal into town. I mean, you're looking at a situation where we could see population swells in Bloomington normal. You think the housing's bad now. Imagine yeah. if that, oh, yeah. if we landed another billion-dollar investment. And, I mean, we're at the point where um, I was talking with uh, Lizzie Johnson, who's on the county board. They're looking at ways where rural parts of McLean County can sustain some growth uh, because if all of these industries are trying to grow at the same time in Bloomington Normal, the Twin Cities are not going to be able to provide the infrastructure for that to happen. So it'll be interesting to see to see where everything lands. We need to... It's a really crucial time for Bloomington and Normal to see if we're going to go back to old development patterns of buying fields and making houses way over from the city center. Well, and that's another thing... Uh, McLean County does not want to give up any more farmland for residential space. So your options then are, okay, move to some of these smaller communities that might have, you know, just empty lots, grasslands, whatever, or start building up instead of out. And rehabilitating some of the more blighted areas of our community. Sure, sure. I mean, mean, that's that's a huge deal, too. I had an interesting experience walking my dog the other day. I was walking between Oakland and Washington. Um, between like Mercer and um, oh gosh, what's the street over there? Clinton, let's just say that whole like Ward Four type area. Sure. If you walk down the alleys there, there's room for houses. <laughs> they're just currently like they're backyards, they're empty lots, they're things like that. There's room to put a house there. But we say, like, by our zoning codes, that they're too close to each other. We can't build houses that close to each other. Well, again, I was just in Galena. Galena doesn't have the luxury of expanding because they've got real steep cliffs on one side and they've got a river on the other side. They've, they've compressed everything. They get stuff closer together. That's what, every, that's what every culture has done, except for us in the last, like, 70, 80 years. We think growth has to be out. Growth should be a thickening up of the areas. Um, it increases value. There's plenty of room to build stuff. We just can't, we don't have a big developer come in and build 80 units all at the same time. It's going to be one person building a house somewhere. Well, then this, this could help. I mean, our current housing crisis where it is, if we, let's say we land whatever the billion dollar investment is, and let's say that comes with it several jobs that I would assume it would. Mm-hmm. Now we have Rivian and we have this. Now a developer might look at uh, vacant building downtown Bloomington and sure. think, yeah. now I could put an 80-unit place in there yeah. and make some money at it, right? So, so I mean, that could be the, the lag effect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I could totally, in my backyard of my house, put a, a two-bedroom ranch house. There's plenty of room back there. Yeah. 100%, but not allowed to. Uh, 
because city says it's illegal for me to use my property. He's sounding he's sounding like you now, Steve. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, get, I get real. So I, there's going to be a comprehensive plan update, at least for Bloomington here after the census information comes in. I, I'm, this has got to be part of the conversation that we have with it, but. I'll, I'll stop ranting on that because uh, <laughs> it's our podcast. The, we can rant. What the city can do though is provide <laughs> provide enough sewage and enough uh, streets and enough broadband to try to support all this stuff. That's uh, I guess broadband's not technically the city, right? That's but city can promote that kind of well, thing. They can help. Yeah, sure. Put it downtown, right? Rip like we said before. Just rip those streets up downtown. Do what Dude, normal did. Rip pull the off the bandaid. Up. Like, Put all the new stuff in there. <laughs> Put the street back down and then stop. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> see what happens. Exactly. I mean, we don't have to like give incentives for downtown buildings. Create a better street, lighting, garbage. And you bury the power lines at that point. Yes. Yeah. Like just get everything. If the city did that, you would see private investment increase. Yeah. Because it would be a more desirable place to have a business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, here we go. So, so no one's heard any specific names, though, for six, huh? No. Like I said, no, my, my first 100% guess was, oh, Karen's going to get appointed to the city council. <laughs> I think that was everybody's uh, first guess. Because I think her and Maboka have a good, long relationship yes. together. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that's... It'd be good to... I mean, like we mentioned, there's some positives she brings in. I think she's, she's, she's got, got for the community. tremendous amount of experience. She took a step away, obviously, losing to uh, Jen last time, which honestly can help a lot of people's perspective. She could go into that. Karen could go into that with a fresh perspective, or she could come in that with, with vengeance. I don't know. She It would be her choice, um, but... Yeah. She doesn't seem like a very vengeful person. I, 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 <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know her extremely well. Uh, she's always been pleasant to work with when she was on council. Sure. Yeah. Um, and everybody just has nothing but the highest things to say the about her. The biggest benefit is that constituents already know who she is. I yes. mean, that is that is the number one uh, benefit to having someone who's previously been on the council. Man, uh, speaking of Karen and also Westside Bloomington, though, I mean... Guys, did you guys see what happened in the West Bloomington Revitalization Project? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh, it was heartbreaking seeing those pictures. Yeah. Like, that's that's a definite community need right now is building that back up because I have so much respect for their organization. I do, too. A few years back, I interviewed Deb Halperin. Um, I'd encourage people to go back and listen to that. They, I was just blown away by the number of things that they did. Clearly, the tool library is very visible. The bike cops are very visible. But there's so many things that they've gotten into. The pantry, the whole deal, man. I mean, it's yeah. it's awesome, and they they need help right now. So yeah, keep keep giving donations because they're they they got a lot of help when they first you know sent letters out and stuff, but it's kind of tapered off since then. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I used to when I lived over there volunteer at the bike co-op every so often yeah. uh, on Saturdays, and um, I know uh, Tani, who's given a lot to that organization and. They do a lot of good stuff, um, and that's such a grassroots organization that I think like you see direct results from. Which is, you know, you cho- you look at nonprofits; they all probably do a great job. But sometimes you write a check to someone, and it's like, what did that go to? Yeah. And WBRP is one of those organizations where like you can physically see, oh, look, they they did this. It is probably the local nonprofit that I support the most frequently and uh, with the most of my dollars, just because. As a libertarian, I'm a big believer that a lot of the things we've come to rely on government for can probably be achieved through voluntary means, through charity. Mm-hmm. And that is a perfect example of a community looking at needs, various different needs, and just figuring out how to provide them 
in a nonprofit kind of way. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I absolutely love what they do over there. And they're much more nimble than a government program, too. That's what really impressed me when I talked to Deb was they make, they, they make like a, s- a small idea. Okay, so someone, someone has the idea. Should we do a microfinance loan? Okay. Well, let's just give it a shot. Let's see if we can get enough money scraped together. Let's see if some people apply. We'll get a few people. Went through it. Well, okay, that didn't really work. Fine. Like, what'd you lose by doing that? You lose some people's right. time. Like, okay, you know, you did it. It wasn't that big of a thing. Um, you know, let's try to run a bike co-op. Okay, you start giving out bikes to people. Wow, people really like this. This is really neat. We're getting more bikes donated. Holy, like, oh gosh, you know, this is expanding. There's a real need here. You swell up to the need that you have, and then you swell back down again. It's it's harder for a government program or a large, like, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Sure, yeah, a bureaucratic nonprofit. That's that well, got, you know. Yeah. So that's that's what one of the things I think is cool about it. So, um, so yeah, if people aren't aware of that need, there they definitely should go out and check it out. So, yeah. Um, something else I wanted to pivot real quick here, Steve. I was. Interested Shoot. in your your side gig, your uh, yeah your cities ninety two. Let's talk gig. about it. Um, I'm sure you have plenty of podcast listeners who are uh, big fans of the stage. <laughs> yeah. well, I, um, I think we kind of spread across the spectrum. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um, what I here's what I think is interesting. There yeah. are so many conservative talk radio hosts. Something about that medium and that format. There's so many of them, and liberals have like tried to do it. I'm sure you can name some, right? Yeah, they d- it just generally they don't get the same. What's well, like Air America ratings? I mean, it's just yeah. There's something about that format that like really appeals to either conservative commentators or conservative listeners or both. Have you reflected on that at all? Like, do you do you think you know any idea on what that is? I mean, obviously, I've thought about it just because. You know, I don't just, I'm not just a radio personality, but I teach radio too. So, you know, recognizing, uh, recognizing it and, um, and trying to figure it out has been something I've, I've kind of racked my brain over. I mean, there are other areas of media that are uh, dominated by a more progressive sphere. Sure. Uh, you know, the number one that comes to my mind is um, uh, comedy journalism. I mean, yeah. things like The Daily Show and Colbert, and now you have Samantha Bee and, you know, uh, some newer ones coming along. Just comedy in general, I would say, it tends to be more... Oh, uh, by far. By yeah. far. By far. I know, I'm trying to think of a conservative stand-up. I mean, the closest I'm you sure can come exist. is probably like Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan's not a conservative, no. really. Uh, you know, Dennis Carolla. Miller. Dennis Miller, sure. I think, is a conservative. Adam I mean, Carolla, right? Yeah, Adam Carolla, maybe, yeah. Um, but anyway, there's not a lot Dave, of... Dave Smith, but Dave Smith's not like an A-list... Com- comedian, you know, it, it's, yeah. you know, and then, uh, you know, you, you've got, and that leaves, you know, holes for people like, you know, Bill Maher to, you know, all of a sudden get called a conservative because he has one thing to say that, you know, makes progressives mad, but mm-hmm. love it. Um, I love when those things happen. Do you see, do you see the, uh, no, sorry, we won't digress. <laughs> I, I really loved his editorial. Uh, With, uh, just this past Friday? The past one, yeah. Uh, about, I, about, about how, uh, a lot of like Paul being elected to Congress is oh, one of the only things yeah. you can do with absolutely no job skills whatsoever. Um, every other job requires like some sort of skill, but you get elected there and they just want to like hold on tight to it <laughs> because they they uh, they know they can't do anything else. So yeah, anyway. but but yeah, I just um, you know it's it. I mean, since Rush really 
in in the late '80s, early '90s. Was he really like the first one? Did he pioneer the the genre? I, I don't I don't know of anyone before him. Yeah, because here's the thing: before that, talk radio was primarily like we're going to do this inoffensive. We're not going to we're going to try and cast a wide net and get as many many people as possible, which is effective to an extent, but can also be pretty boring. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not to say that nobody with perspective, uh, you know, were, was on the air before that. But also, Rush was coming along when a lot of radio stations were transitioning from a lot of local programming to, and computers made this obviously much easier to do, automated programming with syndicated hosts. So it was a little bit of time and place. Um, not to say that Rush wasn't talented. You know, say what you will about his about his opinions or perspective. He's an extremely talented broadcaster. Mm-hmm. He's um, good at what he did. Yeah, and um, but it was a little bit of a time and place thing. You know, he he came around when the you know a technological revolution was going on in the industry that allowed uh, a lot of stations to move toward a syndicated format without having to have someone sitting at the audio board running the show off of a satellite feed. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I um, what I hear when I listen to them. What I, what I notice, and again, I'm interested in for your position behind the mic, because what I hear as a listener, as somebody who listens to podcasts where it's like a sustained conversation, Sure. if you just try to listen to the entire thing with no commercial breaks, it's pretty hard to listen to, because like, it's a lot of like repeating. It's a lot of assuming people just joined you like in the middle of what you're doing. Like, yes. I'm going to recap what I'm talking about. I'm going to lead back into it, even though I already right. led into it. Like, it's not really designed to be... I mean, do you design your show to, like for someone to listen to it from start to finish, or are you, do you have in mind that someone's probably de- listening like ten it, minute parts? It depends it? on what show I'm doing. If I'm doing my show, mm-hmm. then yes, I do design it for someone to sit down and listen to the entire thing. I don't do a lot of repeating and you know circling back and that type of thing. But my show is on a Saturday night from five to seven. Sure. Um, soon moving to Sunday mornings, by the way. Both of those time slots are time slots where you're going to catch some people in their cars driving, but I have way more listeners who are appointment listeners. They know what time my show is. They listen to it, you know, live. If they listen to it live, they're, you know, sitting on their couch, they're working in the garage, they're they're not out driving and doing stuff. Or they'll listen to the podcast afterward, and obviously that product really suffers when there's a lot of repetition and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If I'm filling in for mornings, mornings are a totally different beast. You have, uh, you know, a very small percentage of your core audience who's going to listen to the entire show every single day. Almost all of your audience is listening to 15-minute bits of your show, especially in Bloomington Normal, a community where your commute is probably less than a half hour, no matter where you're going, you know. Um so in a community like this, where there's not even that much of a commute, you've got to repeat yourself uh, frequently in a situation like that, just based on the medium on which people are listening. So it depends on what show I'm doing. You know, yeah. if, I, if I'm filling yeah, in for mornings, sense. then yeah, I'm going to repeat because uh, you know folks who are listening at 7:30 weren't listening at, at six, and folks listening at 7:30 aren't going to be listening at you know 8:30 or 8 8:45 before I get off the air. So mm-hmm. yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, the podcast does suffer because of that. You know, you're hearing the same thing. I was trying to listen to quite frequently when David Paul Blumenshine had people on who came to the uh, school board meeting. Sure. 
and I tried to listen to it. I listened to it for like 45 minutes and I was like, I, I just feel like I can't get anywhere. Like, I feel like I'm just doing, I, I just continue to be told that something is going to happen and it's not happening. <laughs> but again, I think it's the difference between me sitting in my house, you know, doing dishes or chores sure. with it on my ears. And I'm like, I, it, it's not moving, but no one's going to probably, that's not really the core of what he's going for with that. Right? Well, and the other thing about David, and I don't, I do not say this to, you know, try and disparage David at all. He is not a professional radio host. That's not his, you know, uh-huh. his field. That's not what he studied. That's just not, he's learning how to do that, sure. but he's learning on the job. It's mm-hmm. trial by fire, you know, so. I wasn't trying to get you to talk crap about No, 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 and I wouldn't, even if you did. I was um, just using it as yeah. an example <laughs> of, of, like, the form, I guess. Right, so, right, right. Um, yeah. the, the last thing I'll say I'd notice is, is and this might be something about, like, the cultural, like a cultural conservative versus a cultural liberal, but it's the tone of it, too. The tone to me, if I listen to Rush Limbaugh, sure. he sounds angry to me. Sounds like an angry person who's very upset about things. And I, I'm, it sounds like that to my kids, too. Like, when I, when I put it on in the car, they're like, they'll say apropos of nothing. Dad, what's that guy so angry about? It's just a lot of, like... Anger and resentment. That's what that tone sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. I have a good friend who's a big Rush fan. He says he doesn't hear it that way. He hears he's like he's got conviction, he's got strong beliefs. He's speaking like definitively, like with certi- certitude. Is that a word? He, with certainty sure. in his voice, right? There's like a, a tonal difference of what political speech sounds like to me. Because if someone talked to me like Rush Limbaugh talked, I probably would not talk to them. I'd probably like God, that guy. That guy is too upset to have a conversation. Sure. <laughs> so I'm going to back away from this angry person. Um, Alex Jones takes it to another level. Oh, my right? God. He's he's <laughs> like a performance <laughs> art, you know? Yeah, it's... Um, that guy is like, if I saw him on the street, I would watch him. Like, if he was a homeless guy, I'd be like, this guy is awesome. Um, but uh, I wouldn't have a conversation with him. So I wonder if there's, like, a difference in, like, tone preference of how conversations I, go or something like that. I, I think... Don't know progressives can sound pretty angry also um, especially those on the on the far left um, mm-hmm. I re- as soon as you started talking I remembered back when it was um, Bernie Hillary and Trump were kind of like the three you know who, who looked like they were gonna um, two of them were gonna be running for the presidency and I remember my daughter making the thing like Trump seems like a jerk and Bernie seems like he's mad at everybody mm-hmm. I like Hillary and this was my at the time you know whatever eight year old daughter um, who just happened to be playing Legos when I'm watching debates right so um, that was just from a kid's perspective she saw Bernie as being angry all the time too yeah um, so I, I think it could be both ways I, I understand your point 100% like I think uh, far far right conservative media understand that's what gets attention is being angry mm-hmm. um, but I think progressives are catching on to that also I don't think you sound like that, though, Steve. I'm not I, just, I, I try not to. I mean, every yeah. once in a while, I, I get fired up about whatever I'm talking about. Um, but that makes it seem more genuine. Yeah, right. It, well, that's the thing. And if you constantly have your foot on the gas 100%, you're going to run out of gas real quick, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Um, so you got to pick your spots. And yeah, but that, you know, what Justin just brought up, I think is really important, you know, from, from, from a, from a, look of your personal perspective 
the tone could be the same between two people, but if it's an if it's an ideology that you might agree with more, sure. it's someone with conviction. If it's one that you agree with less, then it's this person's too angry to even have a conversation with. You that know, makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it is fun to get with someone you agree with politically. It can be really fun to just get really. Work, you know, have a few drinks and just get really worked up and right. complain loudly about the things you don't like. You know, that can be an enjoyable thing. That makes sense. Yeah. With an understanding amongst the group that, you know, we're having this discussion and you know nobody's feelings are hurt or whatever. And yeah, you know, you got to lay ground rules when you're having those types of conversations. Yeah. So. yeah. so, what's your process for developing your show? Like, how much prep are you doing? Uh, in total, uh, you know, for for my for my local news show news news talk and analysis i'm doing probably somewhere between five and ten hours of prep for the two-hour show show. it depends on what's going on that week um you know obviously i rely way more heavily on interviews uh than um pretty much anybody else on um on cities uh, that's for sure uh, and that's not to say that you know what everybody else does isn't great, uh, but that's just my that's just my style. I I am uh, <laughs> I, I am not cocky enough to think that I have all the answers. So let me bring on the people who might have some answers. You know, um, and that's also something that you know as I was listening to cities before I got there, I saw as a as a, a weakness. There was a lot of perspective, but. Um, it was all perspective of the of the show hosts. So I tried to bring in a little more community perspective, people who are different, newsmakers, that type of thing. Um, so that type of show causes a little more legwork, you know, not just coming up with content, but also logistically figuring out yeah, scheduling. Yeah, everybody. when are we interviewing? You know, all that type of stuff. Um, and then, you know, there are, there are weeks where I'll have. You know, three or four or five pieces of a show, and then it's a puzzle. I got to figure out what goes where, how I lead into each thing. You know, I've got, you know, I've got, you know, eighty-five percent of my show done. Now I got to fill this fifteen percent. What the hell am I going to talk about? Like this, this past week. That's why I asked you about the Bill Maher thing. I talked about the conversation uh, that they had about critical race theory mm-hmm. on Bill Maher this week, yeah. which is which I thought was awesome, and Bill Maher nailed. Um, I think. Um, where, where both sides are getting getting this whole yeah, thing wrong. He moderated between those two. It was Ben right. Shapiro and another person I hadn't heard of. Before. Uh, Nance. He's a um, former national security advisor. No, I can't. Uh, I wish I could remember that I'm guy's it up right first now. name. But Malcolm Nance. Malcolm Nance. Yeah, he's he's like a media commentator, um, and um, you know. A, a, uh, progressive talking head on cable news, essentially. I'm sure he's, and I don't want, I don't mean that to to try and disparage him or anything. I'm sure he's, you know, got the credentials or whatever. That's really just what I know him from. But um, it was, it was, a, it was a really cool back and forth uh, between he and Shapiro, and um, you know, Bill kind of played it down the middle and said what I think a lot of people are saying. About critical race theory, and this I, we're off we're off tracks as far as uh, so fun you know, about local radio is. But <laughs> um, see, we filled an hour of content with no prep. Right <laughs> there, you go. Our my, ROI is super high compared to yours. My, uh, <laughs> but but I really appreciated Bill's perspective because he was saying, you know, 
if teaching critical race theory means teaching history in the proper context, if it means teaching all of our history and not just the stuff that, you know, we want kids to be, like, patriotic about, like, we need to talk about the Chinese Exclusion Act. We need to talk about the terrible things we did to Native Americans. Uh, we need to talk about slavery and, you know, everything that led up to it and has happened after it. Um, then, yeah, we're all for it. But if it means, you know, teaching kids that, you know, uh, race is power and everyone's either oppressed or an oppressor, and you're like, and those you're aspects still, of... Yeah, and there's, like, you're yeah. guilty for the sins of your parents. Right, exactly. Those aspects stuff, of critical yeah. race theory are what I think a lot of progressives don't even want taught in schools. Most of us just want truthful history taught in our schools. And um, I think that that's the goal here, but... We have disingenuous uh, folks from both ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. who are causing turmoil in the conversation for their own benefit at the detriment of our collective societal gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. Um, it's really hard to tell if the media coverage is reflecting what people actually think because you get together and you talk to people and. Most of the time, when you actually have a discussion with someone off of social media, you know it, uh, it tend to be more alignment than not, and the common sense associated with things. Right. Um, yeah, I, I actually just listened to that this morning, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, I thought uh, Shapiro pulled an interesting move that I, I I actually enjoy when people on the right pull it. It's when somebody who someone who's complaining about meritocracy and how the hierarchies we have are all racist and corrupt and stuff and he said like well you seem to be doing pretty well in it like you seem to be pretty successful you're on tv talking about your things so um you know are you you know maybe you should just give all that up and because it's all corrupt right maybe you should we're going to dismantle this whole system that you benefited from um it's a it's a curious point to put in there um I felt both of them on the whole, though, were a little bit more petty than I oh, I agree. They should have been. I agree. Yeah. But again, Bill pulled them back in well, so highly recommend that episode. To I haven't seen it, so I'll have to go back to it. I also had a, another an interview with somebody who was a former Olympic swimmer who's trying to deal with the whole um, like gender in in Olympics issues that are very dicey. Uh, I thought about bringing that up with you guys, but after listening to that, I'm like, I think they had a better conversation than, it, than, <laughs> than I could ever have on it, and I don't really have any expertise, and it doesn't really affect, uh, it's more of a national issue than a local issue, but, um, but yeah, it's a good one. Check it out. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, mentioning about your process. I do like that you do interviews on your show. That's uh, it's nice to hear from people in the community. Not a lot of outlets for doing that sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, the other thing I do is pull a lot of audio from, uh, you know, council meetings and county board meetings and stuff. I mean, thank God everything's streamed now. It makes it so much easier. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I'd be devoting, you know, 10 hours a week just going to meetings and stuff. But yeah. um, Stay away from the Bloomington Planning Commission ones. They're a mess. <laughs> run, run very poorly, I would say, as a chair. <laughs> Robert's Rules of Order are, uh, are quite a thing. Oh, you're talking to a chair of a political party? Yeah, I'm not excited about our, our next business meeting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. How is the Libertarian Party doing? With any updates? Well, um, growing pains. That's kind of where we're at right now. There's a lot of folks who are 
there's a lot of uh, folks who were fans of President Trump who are looking at the Republican Party's response since he lost and are not happy with it, um, who, for whatever reason, saw a potential home in the Libertarian Party. I think they're quickly finding that perhaps their ideology is, is different than ours. But some of those folks might come around and, and stick around and, and you know, um, be good for the cause. Um, and, and certainly this happens every single time, you know, someone loses a presidential election. We had, uh, you know, an influx of, of Democrats in 2016 uh, who were, you know, uh, angry about what the party did to Bernie Sanders. You know, I say did with air quotes there because I don't know enough about the entire situation. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of opinions on that. But um, being the third largest political party means you get a lot of leftovers from different ideologies. And you're a political party with your own ideology. So then people come in and they figure out, oh, so this is what libertarianism is. Some of them stick around. Some of them don't. And um, we're learning how to be a a bigger tent party, uh, but that can be difficult when you're asking former Democrats and former Republicans to uh, come together on, you know, on a cause. So, are there any liber- local libertarian issues that a party is is looking at? Is- there, there's a few things we're doing. Obviously, we were uh, pretty heavily involved in the redistricting process uh, with the county board. I gave public comment. Um, our our local chair, Kevin Woodard, was involved in that a, a little bit, trying to, you know, just shine some light on what the some folks in the McLean County GOP were trying to do. You know, for context's sake, basically what was happening is there were there were a handful of folks in the in the uh, McLean County GOP who wanted to move McLean County to as four or five districts instead of ten districts and have each of those four or five districts contain portions of rural McLean County with the hopes of, or four of the five, with the hopes of we can create districts that will get more Republicans um, elected in the long run. Um, In the end, after I talked about this for literally five straight weeks on my radio show, and I I, uh, was at, you know, the, the meetings where they were talking about this, giving public comment, and... You know, I was talking to you know my board representatives, and um, I talked with uh, Lizzie Johnston and uh, Logan Smith, who's now uh, since moved away. He's not on the county board anymore. And uh, you know, we put in a, we put in some effort toward that. It ended up being a 17 to three vote against it. So now they're trying to come up with a, a plan that's going to stick with the 10 districts and two representatives for each district, which is great. Um, we were hoping to be a little bit more involved in the map-making process. Um, that did not happen for a lot of different reasons, but I won't get into, I won't get into those. Um, yeah, people want to hear a long conversation on that. We had, uh, we had Josh Barnett and Lizzie Johnston on for a couple episodes to yeah. talk about all that, too. If, if people don't know that backstory and want to listen to it, they can scroll down and grab those episodes. So uh, another thing that we're working on, um, I don't know if you guys remember this. There was a really bizarre normal council meeting in either late late June or early July. It was an emergency meeting with essentially no agenda. Um, the agenda said uh, council discusses. It was like call to order, council discusses, adjourn. That was all it said. Um, and essentially... 
this meeting was framed as uh, we're going to have this meeting just to essentially um, support our uh, town manager who had come on some criticism at the time from a council member, uh, Stan Nord. And it turned into kind of a public flogging of uh, Councilman Nord. And uh, there were several council members who were a little bit taken aback by that. They weren't even sure what they were walking into when they came to the meeting. Uh, there were other council members who seemed to know what was going to happen at that meeting. In fact, there was public comment at that meeting before the council discussed, which you're only supposed to be able to do if it's on the agenda. And again, all the agenda said was council discussion. So um, clearly there were some folks in the room who knew what was happening at that meeting and some folks who didn't. Anyway, long story short, the end of this uh, the end of this fiasco essentially came down to we need the town of Normal to adopt some formal code of ethics. Essentially, others other towns have it. Normal has a little bit, uh, but not as extensive. Like theirs doesn't go into like conduct of elected officials or town staff that type of thing. It's more just like these are purchasing rules and that type of thing. So. Um, I know our chair, uh, Kevin Woodard, the local chair, Kevin Woodard, is working on um, possibly some uh, some things. He's looking at other municipalities, you know, what their code of ethics look like, and he'd like to see uh, Normal adopt some of those. So, hmm. you know, there, there's a few local projects, um, you know, nothing where we're going out and collecting signatures right now or anything like that. Um, we've kicked around some ideas, but uh, we haven't really had anything that has had the kind of support like when we um, tried to uh, dissolve the election commission in Bloomington, which was really the last time we went for a ballot initiative. So Yeah. Cool. I didn't ever see the details of what Stan uh, did that prompted that reaction to him. Um, or if it was one specific thing or more just a pattern of behavior? I, I believe it was kind of a pattern. Uh, I, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was at the meeting the previous week. Um, Stan had, uh, there was a bill uh, that they had to vote on to pay. And it was a bill for some professional organization that the town manager, um, the town manager, uh, uh, belongs to. So the town pays for her membership to this organization. This organization has a code of ethics. And Stan asked while they were discussing uh, whether, you know, while they were discussing the vote to pay for the bill, Stan asked, okay, if we pay for this bill, will the town manager be expected to adhere to the code of ethics from the organization? Innocent enough question. Some people took that as a leading question, uh, you know, trying to uh, make an accusation without actually making one, um, including the mayor, it seemed like. So I think that was kind of how the whole thing manifested. But obviously, there have been some butting heads there previous to that For as well. For a long time. Yeah. 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 It, I've, watching how Stan has done has been one of the things that I've looked at to consider to go back to the conversation about whether elected office is a good fit. I can definitely see things that he does that don't do him any favors. Uh, it can easily get kind of paranoid, I think, and not trust people. Oh, because his yeah. manner can be more direct than people are comfortable with. Um, I also think just he doesn't want to just do standard operating procedure. He wants to question things, and he wants to bring things up that are outside of the box. 
And when and that's happens, what he ran on, and he got back. elected to do it. You know that yeah. he he said that from the very beginning during his campaign in 2017, and he was the top vote getter uh, that election cycle. So, you know, if voters want somebody who's not going to be a rubber stamp, they're going to pull things off the consent agenda every single meeting, and you're going to have two and a half hour, three hour council meetings because their, their meetings have gotten a lot. Yeah, all of a sudden you're not just passing the entire consent agenda anymore. Then it's the Bloomington of old. Really, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's it's an it, it's an interesting kind of case study and what happens when there's that dissonance and um, again put aside things that he might have done that may have made things harder for himself. Right, kind of put that to the side. Right. I think even if somebody did have a really agreeable approach to things. When you start bringing up things that are outside of the way things are normally done, the system's going to try to have forces oh, sure. push you back in line, right? So it's um, it, it would be very uncomfortable to sit there. I'm trying to imagine a planning commission meeting where you all took turns talking about what a horrible planning commissioner I was. It would be a really, really <laughs> uncomfortable experience. <laughs> um, Probably wouldn't sign up for that again. <laughs> so I'm interested to see if he's willing to give it another four years to. I mean, I, in the in the bike lane meeting, that was before your time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the bike lane. I was in the audience. I though. think we were consi- we were called murderers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of the worst thing I've been called since I've been on planning yeah. commission. Yeah. I was. I remember somebody pointing their fingers at like, if you pass this, yeah. you're gonna kill people, and the blood's gonna be on blood, your. Blood. That's what it was. Blood's gonna be on your hands. Wow. So like this. Wow. This volunteer position's really got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what do you know? I mean, I guess somebody did get a bike. A bike did get hit by a, a truck the other day. I'll tell you what. Just real quick on the bike lane thing, because it was just the other day that made me mad. I'm glad we have some bike lanes where we have bike lanes. Um, but we need to start taking care of the bike lanes. No kidding. Man. Like I was riding down Washington Street, Washington and there might as well not had a bike lane because I couldn't ride in it. There was so much debris. Um, construction was one thing, but people putting their, you know, like sticks and leaves in the street instead of in the in the parkway like i yeah it not a great experience riding on our bike lane yeah. uh, most recently and the lines need repainted whenever they get done with that too i love your story though about people from the street who were like yelling at you how if you did it they were gonna move <laughs> and uh and then you, you mentioned like when you're talking to monica you mentioned that you uh you just kind of watch house it's a hobby of yours to see houses that go up to sale and then you saw one of the houses go up for sale at washington by one of those people and it mentioned uh, as a plus of the house that it was adjacent yep. to a bike <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I, if you do this oh, i'm gonna move man. and my property values are gonna go up because you painted that piece <laughs> thank of you very it. much <laughs> thank yeah. you very much thank you very much i'm out of here yeah uh, yeah that's, I, didn't, I didn't get a thank you card that's kind of a that's that's a mess over there man i yeah. that how fast that street has deteriorated is really uh truly really depressing. We drive on that a lot. Yeah. I used to. Up until like six months ago. I became a train wreck. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, now Grove Street is... Um, now Grove Street's pulled up too. Doing well, Grove Street, now that's supposed to add a bike lane according to the Bicycle, bicycle Master Plan. Oh, they're going to put one on there? Well, that, that's part of the Bicycle Master Plan. So the whole Washington Street bike lane thing was because it wasn't part of the Master Plan. And so that's why we needed the amendment. But and the the, the debate the counter argument to that was whether the master plan says Grove Street, so why don't we just put one on Grove Street? But actually, I think it was Jim Karch at the time said we don't put bike lanes on existing streets. We wait till we redo them, and then we put them on there. So we or I I think we're supposed to be Hopefully getting one on Grove Street. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah, because the one on Washington sucks right now. So my uh, 
and I, my, as my kids get older, I start getting more insight into their psyche. And one of my kids said, why do they do all this construction in the summer? And I was like, well, when do you think they should do it? It's like spring, fall. It's so hot right now. I wouldn't do that. I was like, well, I guess you could be a construction <laughs> worker that only works in the spring and the fall. I'm like, yeah. what are you going to do in the summer? He's like, I just saved my money. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, yeah. When we ask him what he wants to do when he grows up, he says he wants to win the lottery. So I, I need to kind of work on him. That That's awesome. He's probably going to need to have a job. Solid plan, though. He just wants, I mean, if it, if it works out. Yeah. Good work if you can find yeah. it, right? It would be funny if he just said, I told you so. In a couple. <laughs> well, yeah. I told you. Well, I tried to talk him down. Um, oh, you said he wants to win the lottery. He wants to win the lottery. I thought you said he wants to run a lottery. Oh, well, that, no. <laughs> I'm thinking we got a little kingpin on our hands here. Yeah, <laughs> that's an even better deal if you can find it. I've said for a long time, Eastland Mall, turn it into a casino. We're gonna be. We're. I mean, you talk about economic development. We got it. Come on, man. Two it, two ideas are uh, electric go karts and a casino. One yeah. of those two things need to happen. Or both. There's room. There's room. Good bet on the go kart. Yeah. Oh, see, it writes itself. Yeah. And have outside bars with open carry allowed. Yeah. Not open carry. Open <laughs> containers. Both. No. <laughs> let's just have everything. Let's just, let's just put large walls around Eastland Mall. Oh, man. And then we just don't ask what goes on in there. Just we just don't. I mean, that's pretty much now. We don't ask what's going on in there. <laughs> it's the, uh, it's the zone. What was that zone in Seattle called last summer? I don't even remember what it was. The exclusion yeah. oh, zone? Yeah. yeah. It yeah. was like the, it was the anarchy zone where the cops could, the cops didn't have any yeah. patrol or anything. We'll I just think have one of those I change my mind. I think yeah. I am going to run for Bloomington City Council. <laughs> so on that platform. Yeah, because yeah. Eastland Mall's in my ward, so I could be like, here's my big idea. We're going to have the purge in Eastland Mall. <laughs> the purge. <laughs> yeah, see how it goes. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, sorry, sorry. My, my story about the trying to talk my kid down, which I think he'll appreciate. We went into a grocery store, and he was like, can I have a scratch-off? I have a dollar from my birthday. Can I have a scratch-off thing? I was like, well, you can't buy one, but I'll buy one for you. And... Uh, We'll see what happens. So I, I bought one, scratched it off. Dang it, he won $2. So he's like, this is great. Like, now I have $2. I'm like, no, it wasn't supposed to work that way. You <laughs> <laughs> were supposed to lose your money. So we did it again. Then he won a dollar, but it was like a crisp a new dollar. Uh-huh. He was like, well, this is a really nice dollar. Trade it up. So I yes. tra- traded it for he a traded dollar. a crummy dollar for a good dollar. And I was like, you're not learning. I'm not doing a good job as your father of teaching you not to gamble because <laughs> this is working out too well for you. So... Anyway, you should have just took it and said, "Now that's your tax for me buying it." That's a good idea. <laughs> there you go. Should have taken tax out of stuff. That'd be good. So. You're gonna have a little libertarian on your hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what my, my kids hate tax. It's so funny. Maybe they are gonna go libertarian <laughs> stuff. They're like, "Oh, I have twenty dollars. I have twenty dollars. I can buy this <sighs> tax." Yeah. Like, yep. That's how it hits you. All right, gentlemen, I better head home. Yep. I got some stuff to do. Sounds Thanks good, for man. stopping by. Yeah, of course, yeah. anytime. Good Anyone time. else can stop by Little Beaver Brewery. I see a lot of families around here, too, hanging out outside, playing games, inside having a good time. I just had the meatballs the other day. If you haven't had the meatball appetizers, no? they're really good. Got delicious sauce on them, so check those things out. And, uh, and thank you to the Patreon supporters we have, too. If you like what we do and want us to keep doing it, you can head on to Patreon and uh, tell us thank you in that way as well. And I think we're done. Let's be done. <laughs>